Super Talk Mississippi media production. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. Uh, I really enjoyed my conversation with uh, John Harrison, the CEO of Hancock Whitney. He's a good friend. We've worked in the community for so many years, and his commitment while building this you know, really incredible bank and expanding into multiple states, he still stayed very committed to Mississippi and coastal Mississippi, and uh, his ability to multitask is among the best I have ever seen, and I have seen some really good leaders in my many years, and he's one of the best. So now let's switch gears and go to John McFarland. He's the executive director of the Southeast Mississippi chapter of the Red Cross, someone who I used to work with. We worked, you know, in the community together as well. But, but John, we're, we're lucky to have people like John Harrison here, aren't we? Yeah, you're, you're going to the other end of the intellectual scale now. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> John, I tell you, John is so smart. When he sneezes, I learn something. <laughs> well, he is. He is. He, I, yeah, he, I always said about John, because he's an engineer, you know, and yeah. CEO. His ability to multitask is oh, yeah. good Lord. You know, his ability to compartmentalize things and, and remember the details in each segment of the work that he's involved. He's just a remarkable person, Absolutely. not to mention CEO. Um, so John, it's great to get caught back up again. It's been a, it's been a month or two since we've actually met. One of the things I find interesting about the Red Cross is that you guys um, found a way to operate and the COVID situation because the blood needs of, of coast hospitals were going to be continue to be very significant. Mm-hmm. And uh, you do antibody testing. You've really, you, you have a real insight into sort of where we are as it relates to the antibodies that would include the vaccine and whatever, but tell people what you do and kind of give them some background. And then what are some of the numbers that you're seeing? You know, back uh, shortly after the pandemic grew back in March of last year, uh, one of the things the Red Cross was tasked with was to start collecting um, convalescent plasma, which is not something new. We've, we've done it before in Zika virus and others. Uh, but basically, when a person's immune system is unable to produce the proteins that needed to develop the antibodies to fight whatever virus uh, that, that they have, uh, oftentimes they can be helped by getting someone else's uh, antibodies through through their plasma. So uh, th- this was not unusual for Red Cross to be asked to do this. It was just we've never done it before on the scale that we have. So starting March of last year, we've been collecting um, convalescent pl- plasma from confirmed COVID victims who have fully retired, uh, fully recovered, and their bodies, their their immune systems would have the uh, uh, the antibodies needed. And uh, so that's been going on since then. In June of last year, uh, we began testing every blood donation to see if people had the COVID antibodies, which meant that they had been infected, even if they were asymptomatic. In other words, they didn't even know they had the virus. And so between March uh, of last year and the end of February this year, about seven and a half percent of all the blood donations that Red Cross tested had COVID antibodies, which meant that the donors, whether they knew it or not, 
had been infected and their bodies, their immune systems generated those antibodies to, uh, to, to stop it. That was helpful information for the health, uh, the health professionals around the country because it gave them a better idea of how much this virus had spread. That, that's about twice the number of confirmed cases that we've been looking at. But in March of this year, and that was from over three and a half million uh, donations that were tested. In uh, March of this year, the first month in March, uh, of the units that were tested, about 20% had the COVID antibodies. Um, a lot of that, I think, is because it was the first time we collected blood from people who had been vaccinated. And of course, naturally, their, their, um, their, their immune systems would have the COVID antibodies. So, you know, if our, our, the nation's goal to get to that herd immunity is to get up to about 80% of people that have the antibodies, either because they've had the the, the virus itself or they've had the uh, vaccine. So that's just one little look at it. And keep in mind that the, the blood donors aren't necessarily a perfect uh, uh, sample of the American population. But uh, just from what that tells us, we're still a good good ways away from that level of saturation or that herd immunity that that we want to to get to, but as fast as they're vaccinating people, we, you know, the end is in sight, as you were saying earlier in your interview. Yeah, what I would say, what I say too, to bring so those are really interesting numbers. And in Mississippi, we got about three bit three million people in Mississippi. Last week, we actually hit a a new sort of hallmark moment where our benchmark moment where. Uh, a third of the Mississippi population, a million people have gotten the vaccine. So that's about, you know, 33%. And then if you add to that, as you pointed out just a second ago, those who didn't know they have it, who probably had the antibody, uh, that they were asymptomatic, or maybe they had it and they haven't gotten the vaccine yet. Mississippi's doing slightly better than that. But, but, but it still is a reminder, as most of my guests and I have discussed, that we, we're not out of the woods yet. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. <clears throat> It's, we're not wondering, is there a light at the end of the time? We can actually see it now, but we have to, you know, we have to still be diligent. And I think the fastest way to get to where we want to get is to get everybody vaccinated. One of the one of the points we've made multiple times, John, on the show, and you know this well because you're in this line of work, is that a mutation of the coronavirus has a hard time mutating yeah. if it can't find a host. Right. And so the quickest way <laughs> to not let mutations get out is to get everybody vaccinated so that there's not a host to receive and, and uh, enable mutation to occur so that there's no, another strain, so to speak, of the, of the coronavirus. Anything else you want to say about that before we switch gears? You know, even going back to masks, I've, I've had both my vaccinations, um, but I still, when, I, when, I, when I'm out, I still wear a mask. Um, it's inconvenient, and, and I look forward to having a mask burning sometime soon, but uh, it, especially if I'm, you know, on the job wearing Red Cross paraphernalia or driving a Red Cross vehicle, uh, I, I don't want to set a bad example by being yeah. out with a mask, but, you know, it, to do it for another couple of months, it, it's not yeah. going to hurt. I, I, to I totally agree. You know, you and I throughout the last year talked about Deadly tornadoes hitting Mississippi yeah. and um, the Easter tornado last year, you know, coming up on a year ago. It's amazing how, I mean, that was a record-breaking tornado. Then St. Patrick's Day, we had another group of tornadoes. What, what's the latest on, on what, what's yeah. happening there? 
considering the the considering what we expected, um, you know, th- there are actually twenty three touchdowns in along that line from southwest Mississippi up through north central Alabama. Twenty three touchdowns, five in in Mississippi and eighteen in Alabama. And you know, considering that and the and the force of the winds, because it was not it was not only the tornadoes, but there was heavy hail. In the northern part of the state, north of the tornado track, there was some strong, strong straight, uh, straight line winds, and uh, the, the damage was not as bad as it could have been. Now, you know, if you were one of the people that were affected, it, it, it's it was terrible. But surprisingly, we ended up with about 90 homes in Alabama and Mississippi that were either destroyed or major damage. That's a lot. But when you consider that long track of the storm, uh, it could have been an awful lot worse. And there were, excuse me, about 80 homes that were that were destroyed or had major damage, and another 90 with 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 minor damage. So it uh, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, you know, now we're going through it again. The, the forecast for tonight through tomorrow night uh, throughout most states again is is uh, a lot of rain, a lot of flooding. A lot of high wind gusts, mostly north of us, and um, impossible tornadoes. So we're as ready as we can be. Well, you you guys respond to disasters. That's what you do, and you also yeah. help people prepare for disasters. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got a hurricane season about to come up. We're in the middle of tornado season. What what guidance do you have people about how to help them prepare? And you know, the bad thing is that this time of year, well, actually, April and May generally, we are giving. Uh, uh, storm preparation uh, presentations all across the chapter that are sponsored by the cities or the counties or uh, civic uh, organizations, churches, and uh, we're, we're not able to do that in person this year because because of uh, COVID, or, or we haven't been, but we are doing them virtually. But one thing people can do is to just go to redcross.org. That's our website, redcross.org. And uh, one of the the drop-down menus is Get Help. And if you hit that Get Help one, you've got an option to go to uh, uh, Disaster Preparedness. And there you can download very quickly, you can download uh, uh, um, preparedness for tornadoes, for hurricanes, for flood, thunderstorms, house fires, earthquakes, everything. And, uh, and it's very, very, very helpful information. And I would encourage people to do that. Um, uh, and a lot of it's things we forget. You know, we know, but we forgot the things that you wish you had done once the storm hit. Why don't we, what we can do, let's, what we'll do, coming to the end of this segment, John, when we come back, we'll finish that thought. Okay. And we'll also talk about sickle cell um, yes. anemia, which is a really significant problem still. And yeah. there's a high priority for African American blood donors. I want you to talk more about that. So when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with John McFarland, the executive director for the Southeast chapter of the American Red Cross. You can also listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Coastview. We have John McFarlane. He's the executive director of Southeast Mississippi chapter of the American Cross, someone I worked with for many, many, many years. And uh, when we left, we were talking about disaster preparedness. And boy, we did our share of disaster preparedness at the Sun-Herald, didn't we, John? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Over the many years. But there are some basic things that people forget. And this is an opportunity for our listeners to kind of Take a minute and just remember some of the basics and especially remember where to go to to get more information. Why don't you cover that, John? Yeah, if, if they, of course, they can always call us, but if they if they just go to redcross.org, that's the, that's our website. And you can download from there the, the safety tips, the preparedness tips, uh, how to prepare a kit with the things you're going to need. You know, people will often forget to take the, to have their insurance papers or their uh, drug prescriptions, things that they're going to need if they have to evacuate. And, and that's, that always creates some problems for them. But the big one that most people forget is coming back home after a storm. And, uh, you know, you, you, you come back and realize your home is still there and, and you just drop your guard and, and, and want to get going. And we often find more injuries uh, and more damage created after the storm than during it. Uh, you know, people will forget, for example, that when they left the home to evacuate, the, the power had gone out. And they haven't gone by and, and turned off the uh, the breakers or, or shut down their power. So when power comes back on, there's that big surge in the house. And especially if, if it's been raining or flooding, you're liable to have a lot of water uh, uh, that maybe has seeped into the, uh, the to, through the frame of the, through the walls of the house. So we see a lot of fires um, after a heavy rainstorm uh, or after a, a hurricane when waters come ashore. Uh, the, the soil is soft, and we often see trees fall long after the hurricane or the tornado has gone through. It just takes a little more breeze to knock that tree down. Uh, but And the big thing is we find, you know, again, after tornadoes or hurricanes, they tend to blow animals, critters, varmints into the yard that, don't, that aren't always there. And uh, you, know, you get home and you let the kids go play while you're cleaning up the house, and all of a sudden you got snake bites or spider bites or whatever. So one of the one of the sheets that's on the website is returning from a storm, and there's some really really helpful hints there. That's all good information, and you can go to the RedCross.org website to get more information about that. John, on sickle cell anemia, I remember when I was in paramedic school back in the mid '70s, and I faced it a couple of times, and saw that that people who had sickle cell anemia required blood transfusions. It's a so it's a, it's a if I remember this right, it's a it's a blood disease that affects the red blood cells that's usually inherited, and the majority of the people who are impacted by sickle cell are African Americans. So you guys have a significant recruiting effort for African American donors. Let's talk more about what that's about. Yeah, you know, sickle cell anemia, as you said, it affects the red blood cells that makes the cells hard instead of soft, and it makes them sickle shape instead of round which means it's difficult for the, the blood to flow uh, properly through the system and, and carry the oxygen. Uh, th- there is no cure. Uh, it is a life-threatening disease. And as you said, it's also painful, and there are medications and treatments that can help with the pain. But they do require blood transfusions, complete transfusions uh, throughout their lives. And uh, uh, the, the, to avoid more complications, the, the best of, uh, match is someone of the same race and ethnicity. 
And because about 90% of, uh, and, and maybe more than 90% of sickle cell patients are African-American, then the best match for them is blood from other African-Americans. Not every African-American donor matches up with them, but that's the biggest pool. Uh, it's become a problem for us because uh, blood donations from African-Americans have dropped significantly over the past year, for partly because uh, as a result of COVID weather and other things, a lot of blood drives have been canceled. But more important is that uh, African-Americans have a much higher rate of COVID infection. And uh, so it, it's not that they're not willing to help. It's just because of the, their, their COVID infections that makes it difficult for them. So we are we are working very very hard to recruit and bring back more African American donors uh, because there are people whose lives are literally dependent upon them getting those transfusions. And and to, to, on the other side of it, those African American donors who do match well for single cell patients, they give constantly all through the year. Uh, you know, they, they they give as quickly as they can come back again and, and do it again. And, and uh, it, it's a pool that we literally rely on to save people's lives. But it's, we've got to grow the pool. Well, I'm glad that there's a focus on that, John. And, uh, and uh, for, if people want to learn more about that subject, they can also go to Red Cross um, blood.org and learn more. Yes. One of the, you know, John, we're coming to the end, but, um, how are the, uh, how are the campaigns going to get, to get donors just in general? They've been good. We, we've had real good turnout at the blood drives. Um, um, in fact, this region has actually been a little bit over its goal, but, uh, you know, it, it, as you know, blood is used within five days of, uh, of being donated. So it's not like we can build up a nice stockpile and, and, and go for a while. The other thing that has helped us is because of COVID, and I think you've talked about this on an earlier show as well, uh, non-critical surgeries have been reduced. Um, so as we move out of the pandemic and hospitals are open up to, you know, to conduct more uh, elective surgeries, the demand for blood is going to grow again. So um, it, it's it's a never-ending battle. But we uh, we're, we're at the end of our time together, John. But anyway, thanks for the update. This terrific information. And uh, again, you can go to the Red Cross Red uh, website if you want to learn more information. But this has been John McFarland, the executive director for the South East Mississippi chapter of the American Red Cross. Thanks, John. Have a great day, buddy. Thank you. Good to see you again. You bet. And have a good day. We'll see you tomorrow. Talk Mississippi Media Production.